Yo, 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 yo. Welcome to episode number 50 of the Basketball Card Podcast. I am your host, Adam. You can reach me on Instagram at TheReal27Guy. You can also email me at basketballcardfanatic at gmail.com. Again, basketballcardfanatic at gmail.com. Welcome to the episode uh, number 50. We made it. I was listening to Stacking Slabs earlier today, and I think he's made it to 50 episodes, but he did it in like one twentieth the amount of time that I did it in. And his episodes are better than mine. So yeah, uh, clearly I'm a slacker. But I was the first, so I was the first. Anyway, uh, again, welcome to the episode. I thought today what would be interesting would be to um, do a couple of things. Before I get into those things, how are you guys doing? You guys hanging in there? It's a crazy world, and we're living in crazy times, and crazy doesn't seem like it cuts it anymore. It's just a really hard time right now, I think. You know, to be heading into the winter, um, a lot of you are basketball states, people who, who live in cold areas, to be heading into the winter with COVID. Most of us, I think, at this point, have known people who've gotten sick and people who, a lot of us know people who've passed away. Um, it's a weird, hard time in the history of our world. And my guess is that you uh, have, have seen struggles through your work or in other places. I know that I have. I hope that you're just doing your best and kind of get up each morning and go just do whatever you can to make the world better and try to make the people around you better and try to make their lives more bearable. Um, and if, if you're really struggling and have a hard time looking out for other people, I would just tell you, try. Try to look out for other people. Um, that's what a big part, big part of... Uh, uh, the hobby is, is it gives you a chance to interact with others and it gives you a chance to make their lives better. If you find yourself on boards or in places where you are not making people's lives better, then you're probably doing it wrong. Um, I'm not sure that I've always made people's lives better, but I'm always trying. And, um, I would suggest you do the same. Today's episode, I think, will be good. I always say that. <laughs> I'm going to one of these times come out and say, today's episode will suck. Um, but no, I think today's episode will be good. I uh, took inspiration from my good friend Chris, uh, Chris H uh, O J Chris uh, on Instagram. He is um, one of the smartest guys around. Guys, you may have heard his interview with me a little while ago on his show, um, and he's somebody who I talk to regularly. Uh, he works very hard at the hobby. I think he's got a really good perspective. He and I disagree on a lot of things, but um, but we agree on most things. One thing I'm sure I believe, though, and I'm sure that we would agree on, is that he's just a really good guy. And uh, anyway, he he and I had a conversation uh, earlier this week where he said, you know what I think you should do? I think you should do a podcast that um, goes through and kind of talks a little bit about uh, the magazine. And part of me doesn't want to do that <laughs> because the magazine is a paid venture, Right. Some of you are paying for it currently, and there's no reason for me to have people pay for things that, that more than I then say, hey, here's all the really cool parts about it. But the reality of it is, I think, that the magazine is really chock full of an, a lot of amazing things. Not a single person has ordered it yet and said, that was not worth my $10. Um, most people, the response has been, holy smokes, Adam, this is amazing. This is exactly what what I've been missing. I've had 
Guys, I've had no less than 30 people say to me, I used to look forward to reading Beckett, and now I get to do that again. And uh, and there are people who have who've ordered the first issue for free, and then it is immediately as soon as they finish the first one, they've they've gotten back to me and said, "Hey, can you send me the second one now? Um, I'm ready to read it." And people are going through the whole thing in like an hour, and I'm like, "Holy smokes! It took forever to put this thing together, and you're finishing in an hour. That's crazy." Um, but the but the um, reception for the magazine so far has been amazing, guys. I just want to thank you. So um, we're at over 100 subscribers. Think about that. That's crazy. This is just a grassroots sort of like couple of guys putting together a magazine with a PayPal link for payment and over 100 people have subscribed um, with most, not most, with a good percentage of them having subscribed throughout the rest of the year. And like I said, I've had nobody who's read it so far and said, you know, this isn't good. I don't like this or whatever. Everybody who said something about it has been super positive. And so, you know, as part of that, um, Chris suggested, he's like, why don't you do some sort of review? And I thought, I don't know if I like that idea, going back to that thought. And I still don't know if I like it, but I started recording and I'm still recording and I'm going to record for a little while. And if I like what I what we, what we talk about here, and I don't think that it makes it so that the magazine's not still worth getting, then I'll, then I'll um, publish this thing. Um, but, but I didn't really make any notes for this, for this podcast like I usually do. I've got a magazine in front of me, and I wanted to tell you a little bit about how it's doing. Like I said, we're over 100 subscribers. Um, I had a goal that we would sell over 100 uh, issues of, of, uh, of issue two. And we did it. And I had some goals before that about how many people I wanted to download it and how many people I wanted to buy to buy issue two at by a certain point. We've reached every goal. It kind of just makes me think, I'm just going to set a crazy goal and see if we can reach that. But um, no, seriously, guys, your support has been amazing. I know that probably most of the people who, who, or at least a good percentage of the people who bought the first issue are also listeners to this podcast. Thank you for the support. Thank you to the writers who have written amazing things, who have talked about things that they are passionate about. The idea of the magazine is around this idea of being a fanatic. Being a fanatic implies passion. Every piece should be filled with passion. And if it's not, then it's probably not going to get published. Um, We're still tinkering with some of those things. Not everything is going to get published that people want to be, unfortunately. But... It's guys, it's about passion. It's about, um, it's about connecting with each other. It's about giving people who are real basketball card collectors, a place to talk about things that are important to them, sets that are important to them, um, projects that they've worked on that are important to them, things that are meaningful, right? Or as um, Brett talked about today in Stacking Slabs, things that are significant, okay? Things that are important, meaningful, significant. I love passion. If you have something in the world of basketball cards that you are passionate about, and it's something that you want to share with somebody else in a written format, there is not a great way to do that today. There's blowout cards, and there's some other forums, And those aren't always ideal or conducive to sharing things that you're really passionate about. So the purpose of this uh, magazine is to allow people to do that. 
and I'm loving it. I think a lot of other people are loving it. Um, I had a friend today ask me, he's like, what's the super objective here? Where does this go? Um, I want everybody to have it. I want everybody to want to download it or want everybody to receive it in their email. I want everybody to want to be published in the magazine. I want everybody to look at it. I think it's really good. It is something that I'm really proud of. And uh, I'm probably going to talk about it again past today. So um, I hope that doesn't bother anyone. But I, I think that I think that it's really good. I think that you'll really like it. I think if you haven't gotten the first issue yet, you should. Even if you don't think you like write, you know, reading, like just order the first issue. It's free. I will send it to you for free. Yes, I'm going to then use your email afterwards to say, hey, here's another issue. If you want to buy it, hey, here's another issue if you want to buy it. If you don't want to get those emails, just hit, just say unsubscribe and I will take you off. But that's that's what's happening here, right? Is I want you to, to get the free issue so you have the chance to buy in the future. My belief, though, is that for most of you who are real you know, fanatical type collectors, obsessive type collectors like me, I think the magazine's going to be for you. And I don't think that $10 is too much. I do think that you know, 100 bucks a year is basically nothing. And it should provide you with hours of entertainment and something to look forward to every month. Um, it's well written. It's smart. Um, I won't say anything really other about it at this point other than that let's, let's talk about issue two. All right. So issue two, I was extremely fortunate, guys, because I asked Nat if he wanted to be part of it, Nat Turner. And he said, yes. And I said, when are you available? And I basically like got to talk to him the next day. And I recorded the whole thing. And, uh, and, but I didn't record it the same way that I would a podcast. So it wasn't like it, it, unfortunately it doesn't have the sort of quality that you'd like for something like a podcast, but I was able to re-listen to it and kind of, and get, get the whole interview and, uh, and it ended up being super long and, um, under the first, the, the format from issue, from issue one to issue two changed. Issue two looks a lot more professional thanks to the help of my good friend Kevin, uh, Black Griffin Cards on Instagram. He made this thing look good, way better than I had it look before. Before, mine looked a lot like kind of like a financial report, um, but, but he made this look more like a magazine. And uh, the article with Matt starts out really awesome because it has you know, this image of Nat with where it says a conversation with Nat and Nat's kind of got the shadow behind him. And, uh, anyway, I was really grateful that, that Nat would, would do this, would do this with me. Um, you know, I'm going to skip. So, so I'm, I'm going to actually just go through from the top and I'll, I'll hit Nat here in a second. But the very first thing that I want you to know is the cover is awesome. The cover is the three big uh, NBA or all NBA access dual logo man cards uh, that feature Michael Jordan, LeBron James, and Kobe Bryant. And uh, each of those three pairs together. And then the highlight of the magazine really is the, is the, the, the large um, the large article. I was going to say it would have been 10 pages under my old format. But under this current format, under the, the improved format, it ended up being like eight pages still really long, um, but it's filled with nuggets of information. And it's fun that you get to read it 
um, because in, in reading it, you can just kind of hone in on the things that are most interesting and, and important to you. You can kind of read the question that I ask and then see if it's interesting to you. So, but before I hit that, after the intro and the table of contents and my letter, you've got the three indices. I'm not going to tell you about all three of the indices perfectly. What I will tell you is that this breakdown of the three indices was super interesting because, as you know, the market has not been doing great, all right? You would just assume that all three markets really tanked. Two of the three uh, indices, um, remember there's three indices. There's vintage, pre-modern, and modern. Two of the indices tanked, and one did not. And one did not. The three uh, age ages on these, the three ranges, I'm not going to tell you which one tanked and which ones didn't. Um, modern is 2010 to current. Pre-modern is 1993 to 2009. And then 1948 to 1992 is vintage. One of the three did not tank. In fact... It increased during the time since last issue. So last issue came out on September 11th. And these indices take, depending on the index, 40 or 50 cards that are readily available, that are cards that you would think are very well-known at, at uh, commonly available grades. And it measures them using card ladder. Um, another shout out to Chris, uh, who I was talking about earlier. Chris is the card ladder guy. Um, the the index really takes takes those uh, th that data from those three eras of really well known cards, and it just says, "Hey, let's see how this changes." And I have it going back to the beginning of the year, and I have it going back to the beginning of the decade, and now I have it each month, right? I don't have more data points than that. Those are the only data points that I have. But now I'm going to be able to start doing every month, right? Well, two of the three indices really tanked last over the last four weeks, and one did not. And uh, I think that's very, very interesting. And if you, um, if you like, here are the percentages, okay? The percentages are negative 22, negative 14, and positive 2%. Those are how the three indices broke down. Chain, that, that's what the change was for the four weeks. And that is interesting. And what I do is I benchmark that against the S&P. So the S&P 500 was up 3% for the month. So it even beat the, the one of the three indices that did well. But the more interesting thing here is what's the year to date? Okay, The year to date on the modern index is 446% positive. Sounds impossible, right? It's not a mistake. That is actually how much the market has increased on these 50 well-known recognizable cards in the course of the last, uh, you know, the last nine plus months. It's up 446%. The S&P is up seven. So, so the modern market is absolutely killing, um, absolutely killing the S&P. So are the other two, by the way. So then we get to a, a conversation with Nat. And the conversation with Nat went for an hour and most of it is contained here in the magazine like i said it's like eight pages long i'm not going to highlight the whole thing but i want to talk about a few things that i think are interesting i lead with a question that i've had for nat since he was on with josh on cardboard chronicles a couple of years ago and nat said on that episode something that's really stuck out to me he said that he does cards three hours a day my ears totally perked up when he said that. I was like, you, Nat Turner, do cards three hours a day. 
but you're like this uber successful CEO slash like really bright like you you can't be somebody who wastes that like that much time can you and then and so I, I wanted to ask about it and his answer was super interesting he talked about he basically confirmed it and then he talked about like how that helps him in his life and it's interesting because I think he would also probably recognize like it's not something that's necessarily going to help you if you don't do it the right way and it's something that you can let you know drive you overboard um, but his answer answer was was super super interesting. I asked him about because I'm a pretty highly obsessive person. I asked him about how he obsesses about cards and things like that, and we talked about that a little bit. We talked about his exquisite collection stuff for a long time. We talked about his LeBron James one of one. Um, that, that's the the base rookie parallel. We talked about the dual logo man. We talked about how that came about, what his relationship with Gold Golden is like, and how he was able to to get those things. We talked about the collection that all of this awesome, exquisite stuff came from. This amazing collection from a single man's collection in Puerto Rico. Amazing, right? You've seen all this incredible, exquisite stuff for the last little while. And Nat talks about what it was like when he got this spreadsheet that I'm sure some of you guys have seen in the beginning where he, he got to see what was part of this collection and kind of how it all went down from there. So that was awesome. We talked about... Um, we talked about something else that I thought was really fun, which was uh, the, I asked, I started to ask him a question about, about how, about 2003, in fact, I'll read it, read it verbatim. I said, I said this, I said, I've heard it said that 2003 Exquisite is the most important set to the hobby since 86 Fleer. And then I was going to say, is there a set today that, you know, you think is most important? But he stopped me. He kind of interrupted me. He said, I don't think that's true. Right, so he says, I don't think that 2003 Exquisite is the most important thing. And then he says, now, don't get me wrong. It's very important, but let me tell you about these other sets that I think were, were more important. And this is my tease. I'm not going to tell you what those sets were, but that's, that's in the article, along with, again, nine pages of really meaty, juicy awesomeness. Right? The, he concluded his answer with something really interesting. He says... He says, he's, he talked about these other years that were really important. And then he said after 2003, that the next really important set was 2012 prison. And at that, my eyes got really big because I didn't know that Nat had any interest in 2012 prison. And 2012 prison is something that I've talked about previously on the show, something that I've owned that I really like, something that I do see as historically important. And so I followed up and I said, then was the 2012 prison, the next great product. And we talked about his, what his initial thoughts on it were. His initial thoughts were like mine. They weren't, it wasn't, it, there wasn't anything revolutionary about it. And it wasn't an awesome product. But then we talked about, you know, what he does see in the product now. We talked about how he wanted to go after the 2003 Essential Credentials LeBron, one of one, and why he didn't win that. Very, very interesting story, guys. Very interesting. Um, you know, he gave, like I said, it's a super long article, 
We talked about Jordan inserts. I asked him what he liked. This is kind of a weird question for me to ask. In fact, somebody gave me a hard time for asking this, but I wondered what he thought was better of my two big Jordan cards. And this was a personal question um, that I probably didn't have to put in the magazine, but I thought it was interesting. Um, I have a, a 97 PMG uh, Metal Universe Championship, number 50. That's a BGS 9, and I have his Gold Fusion, number, number uh, 40, which is his rarest true insert card from his playing days as a bull. Um, and I wanted to know which of those two cards he thought was better, and he thought about it for a second, and he said one of the two. I won't tell you. <laughs> this is fun. Okay, so then, so that was that was that. That's that's really the 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 big part of the magazine that I think was was interesting to a lot of people, right? But there's other parts, um, especially the last part that I think other people were really really excited about, and I want to give a lot of thanks to the people who helped with that. But before we get there. I want to highlight a couple other things. Um, the next article is about Wilt Chamberlain and about my good friend Michael at Lakers Forum Gold. And he talks about his Laker collection and why he why he now collects Wilt Chamberlain and experiences that led up to that. And it's really well done. And it's really well um, designed by my good friend Kevin, who's, who's kind of the designer, who is the designer of the magazine. Then Kyle uh, underscore collects wrote an article called Through the Looking stained glass and it's about um, using stained glass in sets um, and it's a couple page article that does a really good job of going back to 1999 tops gallery and talking about all the different times that stained glass has been used since that time and uh, i think i think he did a really good job as well and then uh and then kevin wrote uh why it's art which is an article about which and i wouldn't I'm going to describe it to you, and you, you might say, oh, I don't know that that's interesting to me, but it's, um, you know, Flawless, 2012 Flawless, when it when it originally came out, it was on fire, and it, it was an explosion, and people loved it. And since that time, a lot of people have not, you know, have not been as excited about it. But 2012 Flawless was really important, and the point of this article is for Kevin to say, here's why this, this set was art, um, or why it is art. Kevin is somebody with a master's degree in art. He is a designer. He is a professional. He has a background that is really, really smart on these things. And even as you look at the breakdown of the article, you're going to look at it and you're going to go, oh, that's somebody who gets it from a design perspective. The article even looks good. The way that the pictures work together on a given page, um, it's really beautiful. And it's uh, he compares these cards to um, modern pieces of art and talks about why they're similar and why the set is art. And he does a fabulous job. I think it might be my favorite article um, that somebody else has written in the magazine so far. I love, love, love this article. Um, so I think you should check it out. The last article is called Defining Iconic. And this was the thing that I teased after issue one. My original intent was to ask a bunch of experts what they their belief was on the most iconic cards of all time, basketball cards of all time, to rank the top ten based on how they you know how they graded them out, and then after they rank the top ten, and after I've you know averaged them out, um, then the next thing that I was going to do is I was going to figure out the market cap of each and see how the market cap of each of these iconic cards compared to each other. I thought it'd be really cool to see, hey, 
What's the total market cap of all Michael Jordan 1986 Fleer cards, right? Well, the problem was that by this point, the articles and the Nat Turner article and the the um, other work that I did on this had already gotten me to 30 pages. And 30 pages to me is about the max that I want to hit each month. That is a long magazine, guys, that's just about basketball cards every month. That is a lot. So I actually stopped there and I didn't do the market cap thing. And I will do the market cap thing next um, next month. So what you can imagine, just imagine this in your mind, we're going to have the top 10 basketball cards of all time. And I might even go out a little bit further than top 10. I might even go out to the top 22 and I'll explain to you why in a second. And that will go along the X axis. And then along the Y axis, you'll have the dollars or the market cap of each of them. So it will be ranked from one to 22. And what I'm really interested to see is how does this market cap break down? You know, I would assume that the number one card, you can guess what the number one most iconic basketball card is, right? It's the Jordan 86 Fleer by a landslide. It wasn't even close. Um, does it have the highest market cap of all of them? And if it does, by how much? Super interesting. Market cap, um, market cap analysis is, in my opinion, how we should measure whether things are overvalued or undervalued. We should not look at it on a card-by-card -card basis. I think we should look at it as based on historical significance. Now, there's some variables at play there. Because something can be historically significant and not good-looking and then be harmed from a market value perspective. I think that's true. But largely, I think that it should, be, it should hold consistent. And I think that... Um, that you should be able to look at the market caps of these individual cards and compare them against each other. And so that's what the, the purpose of this article was, was, to set that up. So let me tell you about the process, and then I'll tell you a little bit about the results, but not a lot. Okay, I want, I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to lead you with everything, but I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you something. Okay. So this was my process. I asked 16 other people who I consider experts in our space to tell me what they believe, or to rank what they believed were the 10 best or 10 most iconic, sorry, not best, get best out of your mind, per, 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 um, pretend I didn't say best, the 10 most iconic basketball cards. So this is the question that I asked. I said, and I wrote this to like 20 people and I got 16 responses back. I said, for the next issue of Basketball Card Fanatic, I am polling a few people in the hobby who I consider experts on their ranking of the top 10 most iconic basketball cards of all time. What I'd love to hear from you is, in order, what do you think are the 10 most iconic cards of all time? I'll compile an average on the responses and represent that list with the market caps for each. And like I said, the market caps will be held off till issue three. But here in issue two, we did this. So I asked a lot of people, and I'm gonna name the people off real quick so you can get an idea of how how like good this list is, okay? These are the, the 17 Instagram accounts. At 610 Sports Cards, at Cardboard Chronicles, at Chargers 21 Sports Cards, at Chris HOJ, at Croatian Twins, at Exquisite Collector, Exquisite Collectibles, Too Legit to Quit, Frankie 3500, GR8 143, Great 143, Midwest Vintage Cards, MK Sports Cards, Rodman PC, Spinatron, The Real 27 Guy, that's me, Sports Card X, and at Waldorf Stories. I don't know all of these guys. 
I can't speak to who they are, or, you know, not all, not all of them. I'm good friends with some of them, but these are all well-known people in the industry. They're all people who have followings and have incredible collections, and um, or, or I shouldn't say they all have incredible collections. They all are passionate. They all, some of them have incredible collections. Some of them are more low end. Some of them are more high end. But they're all people who you've probably seen out there. Right, they're people who I have seen out there, and I felt comfortable asking each of them to to rank these things, to rank these ten cards. So they did, and as they did that, so you know, you've got each each person gets to basically cast ten votes, and you know, the number one vote is the card that they rank the number one uh, most iconic of all time, and their tenth vote is is who's who's ranked ten. So what I had to try to figure out is how do I assess a scoring system? So my scoring system is pretty simple. Every card that was ranked as the number one most iconic card received 10 points. And every card that was ranked number 10 on a list was received one point. And every card that was that was um, included in a top 10 that didn't receive at least two votes was thrown out from the study completely. So it didn't matter whether it was ranked number one or number five or number 10. If it didn't receive two votes across all 17 lists, then it was thrown out completely. What this gave us in the end, uh, as we as as I looked at the 170 total votes that were cast, right, 17 lists, each top, ranking the top 10. So there were a, a potential of 170 different cards being chosen, but obviously a lot less than that, a lot fewer than that than that were chosen. 41 total cards were chosen across all of the list. 41 different cards, and 19 of them were chosen only once. That happened a lot in spaces 8 through 10 on the list. It seemed like 1 through 7 or 1 through 8 were pretty, I don't want to say they were pretty dial, but they were way more way more common. The last couple cards on the list weren't as included as uh, in across on everyone's. And there were some cards that people were shocked didn't show up. I'll give you an example. I had two different people message me and say, the Julius Irving rookie really wasn't named to more than one list. That's right. The Julius Irving rookie was not named to more than one list. It might have been named to one, but that would have been it. Otherwise, it would have made the top 22, and it did not. So uh, everybody went through, and they 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 made their 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 picks. And um, the the magazine goes through, and it takes four people who who included some additional commentary. I didn't ask for more commentary, but a few people gave it to me, and I thought, you know, some of this is so good that I think that the readers would be really interesting to interested to read it. So thirty five uh, Frankie thirty five hundred did his top ten, and I'll tell you one card from each list that I think is interesting. Frankie's number 10 list is one that did not make the list. He Frankie had a couple of other cards that didn't make the list too. Um, sorry, one other card that didn't that didn't that it was only ranked by him, but his number 10 card was the Michael Jordan 1992-93 McDonald's Upper Deck set. And his reasoning for why he calls that iconic, I thought was really interesting. And I'll let you read that if you if you want to. Um, the next list that I have highlighted is Spinatron's. And Spino is um, Spino has a different had a different view on iconic cards than anybody else on the list, for sure. He listed ten individual cards he considered the most iconic. 
So for example, um, for his number uh, five, he included the Michael Jordan PMG green that's numbered one of ten. Um, he included the Michael Jordan Kobe Bryant dual logo man out of Exquisites 2007-2008 set uh, that's also autographed. Um, each of his cards are specific, like one of one type cards or specific notable cards. And, uh, I thought I thought Spinos uh, was was really good. Um, and the way that I used his is in some cases, like for example, he has the MJ ninety seven game jersey auto number twenty three of twenty three. Well, I didn't rank that on its own, but I did include that ranking with the other MJ game jersey auto out of 23 cards from 1997 upper deck some people included that card on their list but he's the only one that only that called out the 23 of 23 so even still with doing that about half of spino's list ended up making it onto the you know onto the to the list um exquisite collector tim uh had had an awesome list too and i think his was one of those that like probably was the most consistent with how the actual list turned out i think of his 10 cards that that he included in his top 10 i think seven of them made the final list the final averaged list and uh but as an example he put the lebron mj 2003 dual logo man on his list and he was the only one which i actually thought was kind of surprising because you know i asked nat um, if he thought that was the best card in the the best basketball card in the world, I won't share with you his answer to that question. Um, but I think that's a really good answer. And he was Tim was the only one that included it though. The final person that I highlighted with a picture of the Vince Carter 1998 SP authentic kind of silhouetting the article in the background was the uh, was was Croatian twins uh, Kiki. Kiki's list was, I believe, the most consistent with where the averages actually lied in the end. Um, I think of the top 10 cards that he ranked, eight of them made the top 10 actual list. And the two that didn't were both um, were both chosen multiple times as well. Um, I think uh, I think I think Kiki's list was was excellent. So we, we did that process that I explained where, where I assigned points to all of them and then went through and figured out the average. And I think the results are interesting and there's some, some things that I think are, are extremely interesting. I won't tell you, I won't tell you the order of, of these things, but I will tell you a few things. The first thing that I'll tell you is that um, Jordan's 86 Fleer won by a lot. Um, it was easily the number one card on the list, and that's not shocking. What I think is surprising is how many other Jordan cards were were called out across those 17 lists. By far, Michael Jordan's name showed up the most. It wasn't close. In fact, only LeBron James had multiple cards that received multiple votes. Let me say that again. Only LeBron James had more than one card they got multiple votes besides Michael Jordan. Not even like, not even Kobe, right? Not Wilt, not any of these other guys, right? Almost everybody, almost every iconic player has one iconic card and that's it. You know, Magic, Bird, you can guess what card came up. Nothing else came up. But Kobe, or but uh, LeBron had three cards that were voted on and I think Jordan had like eight so or seven or eight so anyway it's kind of an interesting thing to think about 
Um, between 13 and 18 on the list, Jordan actually had four cards. Um, four cards that were voted on multiple times. Uh, the, the second and third cards on the list were LeBron and Kobe. So I thought it was interesting that the three most iconic basketball cards of all time were LeBron, Mike, Michael, and Kobe. The other thing to tell you here would be that wherever I had to combine combine like cards, I did that. The example is, um, you know, some people included LeBron's exquisite rookie to 99, and some people included LeBron's exquisite number to 23. Those, for the purposes of the study, are the same card. Um, Kobe's tops rookie or his tops refractor rookie or his tops chrome rookie were combined for the purposes of this. So, oh, sorry, my computer's running low. Um, so anyway, that's uh, you know that's a little bit about some of the results. But um, I want to share with you guys just a couple couple other things. I got to plug in real quick. Forgive me for this. I'm not going to go back and edit that because that's how I roll. Um, okay, so that that tells you a little bit about some about some of the results. The other thing that I want to tell you guys is that the distribution was really interesting. Um, if you think about the word iconic and what it means, and this is why I included what Tim said in his in his piece, he attempted to define the word a little bit and explain how he used it. Right? Um, it's important to understand what the word iconic means. And it's important to understand what we're saying when we say a card is iconic. So the thing that I found that was interesting here was there were more old cards chosen than I would have guessed. What's funny is I've had a few vintage people message me and say that they didn't think that there were enough vintage cards included. I'm not sure who's right, but I'm hearing different things from different people. What I am sure of is that if as you look at the top 10 most iconic cards from this list, there's one card from 2000 on. Um, you know, there is two cards or three cards from the 1990s. There's a card from the 1980s. There's two cards from the 1980s. There's no cards from the 1970s. And there's a card from the 60s, the 50s, and the 40s. Right? That should give you, a, or maybe, yeah, two cards from the 60s. There seems to be a card every eight to ten years that is like the most iconic card. Um, it's really interesting. Um, there isn't. This is this was kind of the shocking thing to me. The last really iconic card cards based on the list um, that that really are in the tw top twenty two are the two thousand three LeBron exquisite and then the two thousand three tops. Anybody want to guess where the 2003 Tops or Tops Chrome ended up? It may be lower than you think. Um, I wanted to see where that would end up, and uh, I'll give it away here for sake of having this conversation. The LeBron James 2003 Tops Chrome and all the others finished 11th, so it didn't it didn't uh, it didn't even make the top 10, um, which really which really surprised me. But again, I I think that's probably right when you look at when you look at the top 10, it wasn't on my list and it wasn't on most of the lists. Um, since 2003, there are only two cards since 2003. No, no, I'm sorry. 
There's only three cards since 2003 that got multiple votes. So in 17 years, only three cards garnered multiple votes across 17 ballots. I was really surprised at that. All of them received at least three votes. And I'll let you try to figure out which three cards received my multiple votes. It's very, very interesting. Um, and uh, I also included the, the raw data the raw data for all of this at the end too that shows the total amount of points, the total number of cards. Like I said, there's 22 total cards that received multiple vo votes. Everything from the Vince Carter 1998 SP Authentic to you know those top 10 that I was talking about to you know Bob Cousy rookie card was was on a, was on a couple of lists. Um, every one every one of them was here. A few last highlights. Um, this is this is something that I thought was really interesting. Of the top 20 of these 22 cards that all received votes, all of them except for 5 are rookie cards. So 17 of the 22 5 of them are rookie or sorry, 17 of the 22 are rookies. Only 5 are are or sorry, only 6 are not rookies. 5 of them are Jordan. One of them is somebody else. <laughs> and if you've been listening close enough, you can figure out who that is. Um, only three of the cards of the top 22 have autographs on them. How about that? And in all cases, they also have a piece of uniform. Um, and then the, this last thing that I noticed I thought was interesting, I, I wrote, if you look at the top 10 and order them by year, the largest gap um, is from 19... Uh, is sorry, is from 1969 to 1980. It's 11 years. It's pretty amazing that it's spaced out that well. It's kind of this nice way of looking at it where you realize, oh yeah, the most iconic cards of all time, one should come out every 10 years. And that has basically been what's happened. Um, so it's super interesting. Uh, that's that's kind of where I leave the articles. I say thank you to, to everybody who helped and... Uh, and take a look at this data tell me what you think and like I said what we'll do next next month is we'll take this data we'll figure out what the market cap is for each of those at least the top 10 but I might go through to the top 22 if I'm crazy enough and then I want to see what the graph looks like I want to see if there's a gradual uh, you know increase as we get more iconic or if if there's a perfect correlation or if there's something that's close to it um, I wonder if when we say something's iconic if what we're saying is that actually has the highest market cap. I know when you hear that, you might say, oh, that doesn't sound right. I don't think that's how it is. I think it's going to be pretty close to that, guys. I really do. I think the more iconic a card is, the more valuable it is across, you know, across the whole of the card, across the, the you know, the market cap. So anyway, that's the episode or the issue. Uh, the issue was 30, 30 pages long super long but it'll take you it'll take you a while to look through it try to give you some teasers try to tell you some about it that was that was interesting today um, like I said before it is still available all you need to do is DM me uh, at the real 27 guy or um, email me um, at basketballcardfanatic at gmail.com and I will send you the first one for free. The first one is really good too, but the second one I think was better. Um, and if you if you want the second one, uh, it's just it's just ten bucks, guys. And I know it's not fun to just be charged. A lot of us want to get content for free. And there's a lot of free content out there. I think this is good enough that it, that it 
that it deserves that. And if it wasn't good enough, I wouldn't be willing to take the time that I am to put it together. Um, I think you should order it. I think that you'll enjoy it. Um, I think it legitimizes the magazine a little bit that it that it isn't free. And I think you're going to enjoy it. And I think it's worth your 10 bucks. So that's what I think. I hope you agree. I hope you'll check it out. If you do order it and you don't like it, uh, I'll send you the 10 bucks back. And the other thing I'll say is, I've said this before, um, though nobody's taken me up on it. If you really just can't afford $10, email me and tell me what your circumstances are, and I'll make sure there's a way for you to get that content. All right? Okay, you guys are awesome. I uh, hope you guys, again, stay safe, make good decisions, and try to make the world a better place. And until next time, happy collecting.